We're going to continue this morning in this study for a few weeks here called Faith and Friends. And we talked about uh, this. We talked about uh, two things I want to mention to you as we get into today's study. The fir- our thoughts, whatever it is, you know. The first is that Jesus calls us friends. Those who are believing in him as Lord and Master of our lives, that Jesus calls us friends and tells us all of his business, which is pretty crazy, really, if you think about that, that you could know the mind of God. You know, how many times do you think, I wish I knew what to do here, but the the word says that Jesus calls us friends because he tells us all his Father's business, and he invites us to participate with him in that work in the world, which is amazing. I mean, it's amazing if you think about that alone. And, uh, and then last week we talked about the reality that in Jesus we have a friend as sinners. And that might seem obvious. You go, well, yeah, friendship is a two-way street. But listen, like we have a friend in Jesus because Jesus is a friend to sinners like us. And so we are invited by him into his work and into his kingdom. And so we have this kind of reciprocal relationship. And man, if you hear nothing else from us ever, I hope that you understand that fundamentally what we proclaim is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't believe as a body here at Family Bible Church that if you go to church enough, you're going to merit God's favor. We don't believe at Family Bible Church if you do enough good things, if you're nice enough, if you're kind enough, if you demonstrate enough godliness in your life, that that's going to merit you entry into God's kingdom But what we believe is that God desires a relationship with you every day of your life and me, and he invites us into that conversation. That's what prayer is, is talking to God and being part of what he's doing in the world and knowing that he loves us in spite of everything we've done. He has grace for us, which is a miracle. And so we have fundamentally in our uh, faith life at the root of it, a relationship. And the beautiful thing about a relationship with God is no one can take it away. You know, whenever I was growing up, my, my dad would always say to me, you know what you need to do? Get an education because that's the one thing that no one can take from you. I don't think that's true. <laughs> Things can be discredited or non-accredited or they can just say, we don't care anymore what your degrees are. I mean, people, that's not true. Your education, you know, so what, right? But listen, your relationship with God cannot be taken from you. That's what we're talking about, family Bible. So, so we've been spending the first week talking about our relationship with Jesus. And I said to you last week when, it, when I said friend to sinners, and I gave an example of how we can be friends to sinners. But listen, it wasn't primarily about us. It's about what Jesus is doing. Well, that song we sang today, it says, in the darkest places God is there. I'm not, that's not an exact quote, but that's what that song we sang said. That no matter what we're going through in our struggles, that God is there with us. It says, uh, he, knew, he knows the story to every tear. I hope you pay attention to the words that we sing because I think they really do matter. And so this morning we're going to continue and we're going to talk about um, this idea. By the way, if you did not get a connection, an engagement sheet this morning, I'd encourage you to get one. We're going to cover a, a whole bunch of stuff pretty quickly today. And on the back of it, there's actually space to take notes if you want to do that. So I'd encourage you, if you didn't get one, they're on the round table in the back. You can get up and grab one. No one's going to be mad about that. But grab one of those because um, so you can kind of take notes, read up on it later, follow along. We're going to kind of jump pretty quickly um, through these things. So today is kind of like the middle of the series, and I wanted to talk about um, 
so, so just so you know where we're like, we're talking about friendship with Jesus. Then we're talking about today biblical friendship. And then we're talking about how to be a bad friend <laughs> next week. And then how to be a good friend the following week. So that's the plan, unless God has other plans for us. And, uh, and so we're going to do that. But one of the things I did um, as I was working through this, I may have showed you this already, but I went through and I wrote down every time I saw the word philos, which is friendship in the Bible, it's love for another in the scriptures. I went and looked for it. It was only the New Testament, but I looked through all the New Testament to find out where this idea of friendship shows up and, and what it means. And a couple of interesting things that I, I wanted to share with you as we get started this morning is the first that Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is full of friendship. I mean, for whatever reason, that word repeats over and over in Luke. Here's a funny in, uh, thing. It doesn't show up at all in Mark. <laughs> we just studied the Gospel of Mark. Philos is not mentioned one time in Mark, which I'm kind of stunned by that, really. It only happens once in Matthew, which we already covered, right? And, and then the other place it shows up is in John and Luke and Acts, and then a couple times in the letters to the churches. You know, you think about Paul wrote letters to the churches, but many times he didn't mention friendship. That's not what he's talking about. So I just thought that was really interesting. Luke primarily is where we find these teachings. So we're going to spend most of our time in Luke today um, talking through what biblical friendship looks like, okay? And uh, I also want to say, as we kind of lay out the, the groundwork this morning, that these are things that are, can be true for us and, and true for others. So when I say this, whatever I'll, I'll talk about as I go through, but when I say these things, it doesn't mean it's only for us to receive this kind of friendship, and it doesn't mean it's only us to give this kind of friendship. It means it's what's available if we're going to have biblical friendships, what it's going to look like in our lives. And so um, I hope you'll kind of keep that in mind as we move through. I'm going to ask you to do what we always do. We're going to pray that God would inspire us to understand his word this morning, that you and I, you where you are, whatever your situation in life is, that God would inspire you through his Holy Spirit to understand what he is teaching today. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the great truths you've already shown to us through the songs that we've sang, through the prayers of our hearts. I mean, through getting up this morning and just getting ready to come here, the, the revelations you've had for us that we are known by you and we can know you. I thank you so much for every person gathered here. Maybe some think it's an accident. I, I believe you're sovereign over what's happening in our lives, and I thank you that we are here by your choice. What an awesome God you are. I pray this morning that as we open your word, you would open our minds, uh, our hearts, that we could hear it, that we could understand it, that we could believe it, and that it would change us. Fundamentally, Father, we are sinners saved by grace, and we need your grace to be changed. So, Father, would you do that work in our lives today? We love you so much. We know you do it. You never fail us. We know you do this work. And so we just celebrate now the promises that you fulfill in our lives, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna, to um, jump through. If th these four major categories, if you will, about biblical friendship. I'm going to tell you those now, but we're going to walk through eight, and there's not, they're not even, so don't think there's like two for each and like that, right? But it's, it's celebration. Friendship's for celebration. Uh, friendship's for times of need. Uh, friendship is for identity. And then friendships are, are for eternity. And maybe not in the way you think, but we'll talk about that a little bit as we finish up today. So the first one I, I want to talk to you about is a biblical, biblical friends celebrate together. That's the first thing I want to share with you. They celebrate together. You can write that down if you have an engagement sheet on the back. It's got a little arrow there for you. And, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, starting in verse 3, 3 through 10. I'm going to read it, and we're going to talk through it. Here we go. Then Jesus told them this parable. 
Verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go for the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7. I tell you that the same will, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, if you're a biblical scholar, and I know some of you in here are, you're going to say, well, the primary teaching here is about God saving lost people. Agreed. But I want you to notice in the middle of the parable what Jesus assumes to be true about friendship. That whenever you go out and you're trying to find that one sheep you've lost, that one thing, and it happens, you come back to your friends and you rejoice with them. So friends celebrate together. Let, let's read on. Or, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds that coin, look at what it says. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, you can say, primarily it's about God rejoicing over sinners coming to faith. Agreed. But look in the middle. A woman who lost one silver coin. Now, I don't know what one silver coin is worth, but break that down however you want. So if she has a dollar, she lost a dime. If she has a hundred, she lost a ten. If she has a thousand, she lost a hundred. She lost some money. And, and in the middle of her anxiety and her, her, her concern, she's looking around, and when she finds it, the word says, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found the coin. What a small thing. I, I was reading that, I thought, what a small thing. I mean, in our lives, do we, like, celebrate small things with our friends, you know? Are there things that happen that we're like, we're like, I just want to, I just want to tell you how excited I'm about this, this cool thing that just happened. I, I was really, I was looking for something in this case. I was looking for these things, and I found them. Can you believe I found these things? They, they rejoice together. Talking about that, by the way, what does it even mean to rejoice with friends? Like, what does it look like to rejoice? This was really interesting to me. Uh, it means to identify with someone, Right? Um, literally, it means to mutually participate in God's grace. The word means cheer with me. We were able to go out to the uh, Highland High School football games, right? And everyone's like, every time it's a fourth down, the announcer says, all right, fans, it's time to stand up and back your bulldogs. And everybody's like, cheer with me, yeah! And people just do it on command, you know? Yeah! I guess the players get stoked about that, and they make the fourth down stop, <laughs> whatever's supposed to happen. But that's the idea of rejoicing with friends. Hey, will you come celebrate with me what God is doing? You won't believe it. And it can be anything from something totally amazing to something really minuscule, minuscule but that matters to you. That's, that's a biblical friendship. Hey, you know I told you I was looking for that thing. You can't believe it. I found it. Rejoice with me. That's so cool, man. A coin or a lost sheep. One out of a hundred, by the way, in the sheep. One out of a hundred. 
That's only like a tenth the value of the silver coin. Interesting stuff. Rejoicing, rejoicing together. Recently I was talking to a friend of mine and she had a really big moment in her life. A really big moment. And she went home and she said, I realized no one was around. Everyone was gone. I had no one to celebrate with. I'm like, ah, that's biblical friendship right there. You, that compulsion to go, hey, guess what, guess what? You're not going to believe what just happened to me. That's one of the marks of a biblical friendship is that we would celebrate life together. We would celebrate the things that are good, the things. And by the way, notice this came after struggle, right? You lost the sheep. You lost the coin. Things weren't going your way. But now they are. Man, celebrate this. Whatever it is. Super cool. All right. Then the second thing, and this is, that's the first category, just celebration in general. The second category, and, and, and these next three are coming under, is needs. Um, friends are there for our needs. And so one of the things that we know is that friends provide for our needs. It's one of the reasons that we have friends in our life. And we're going to talk this through. There's actually three different um, principles I found in Scripture about this. But they're literally God's gift to us in this life. And I want to talk about why that's a big deal and, and maybe how we don't avail ourselves to it as well. I'm going to share with you from the book of Acts up here, um, Acts 27.3. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is on his way to be tried um, by Caesar. He's demanding to be tried by Caesar, right? And this happens right after uh, he could have been released. But he said, I demand as a Roman citizen to be tried by Caesar. And they said, well, now you're stuck and you've got to go on a boat and you've got to go to Rome and, and be tried. And this is the word we hear. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, Julius, by the way, is a centurion who's keeping Paul and the other slaves on the ship in a kindness to Paul, allowed Paul to go to his friends. And what does the word say? So they might provide for his needs. Uh, another translation says, so they might care for him. So our friends are there to care for us. In this situation, Paul's in a tough situation. I won't say bad because Paul thought it was, he, he was right and it was in God's sovereignty to have him there. He was very much, if you read the life of Paul, he very much believed in God having sovereign control. Um, but here he was about to enter this ship and uh, on the journey of the ship, he was already on the ship by now, and at one of the ports of call, he has some relationships there, and the centurion says, you can go to your, your friends so they can care for you. What does it mean uh, to care for someone? W what does that look like? The root word, the word that's used in that text is actually a noun, but it's based on a verb, right? It's a noun based on a verb. And so it, it's fundamentally to do something but this idea of, of meeting needs means to bring attention or care, right? Sharing concerns and worries. Uh, matter of fact, you'll notice a similarity between celebrating with your friends and caring for your friends. We kind of talked about how that was reciprocal in the other way where there was a struggle and they found something, they celebrated with their friends. And now you have something that, that where you're struggling and your friends are there to care for you. It's, it says what? That the centurion's decision to let Paul go was a grace to Paul. It was a great gift. Just let me hang out with my friends. What a blessing on his way to be tried that he had that opportunity to do that. 
we can uh, meet the needs of others and others can meet our needs. And my question, I guess, for you this morning is like, who is that in your life? Who in your life is there to meet your needs? It's a weird question. Like, no one wants to be a needy person, right? You don't want to be needy. But the Bible says that's what friends are for. That's what friends are for. To care for you when things are hard. I mean, Paul's in a bad spot. To, to share the burden, to share the struggle, much in the same way, to identify with you in that moment, right? To relieve some of your anxiety. No matter what, Paul, we love you. No matter what, Paul, we're praying for you. I mean, can you imagine the encouragement he got from that? As a matter of fact, if you've read some of his other letters, often he's writing letters and, and, and he's saying, you know, I was so encouraged when I got your letter. It's the same kind of relationship thing care to know that you're not alone and that God has someone there who's journeying with you. I think in our culture today, especially of rugged individuals, I'm like, it's just like me against the world. I can do this. I can bootstrap. I can pull it off. Like, we don't even get how badly we need other people in our lives. But we do. God places them there to provide for our needs or to give us care when we need it. And God provides us to others in the same way. As a matter of fact, one last thing I want to say about this is you might find yourself in life always being the caregiver and never the care receiver, and that's a terrible spot to be in. Like, that can just lead to bitterness and anxiety and anger. You know, why am I always the one that gives to others and no one gives to me? You feel selfish asking the question, but it's because you're made for mutual care, right? God's desire is not that you would care for everyone and no one would care for you, but that others would care for you as well. Going back to the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to talk about this next idea that friend, biblical friends speak on your behalf. And we're going to look at uh, math, or Luke 7, verses 1 through 7. So flip back if you're still, you can stay in Luke today because we're not going to ever jump out of Luke really. Um, we'll just do it on the screens. So Luke 7, 1 through 7. And this again is a, a, a story uh, that we've heard before. But we want to notice the friendships that are happening here. In verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And there was a centurion's servant whom his master highly valued that was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to, of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. Verse 4, when they came to Jesus... They pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation, that's Israel, and he has built the synagogue. So Jesus went with them. So the request comes from religious leaders, but check this out. Jesus was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to Jesus to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself because I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Because I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And we know the rest of that story, right? Jesus is amazed with the faith of a centurion. What faith in what? In who Jesus is. That Jesus could command things without going there. You don't have to have Jesus touch you to heal you. You can just say you're healed and you're healed no matter where you are. 
So here in the middle of this, though, again, the primary purpose of the text is talking about Jesus' ability to heal and the faith of the centurion. But look what happens in the middle. He had sent out religious leaders to kind of plead with Jesus to come. And look, he gets some reasons. Like, he's been a, a, a good uh, guy. I mean, he, he's helped us out. He's a good centurion. He deserves your help. And so Jesus goes. But whenever the crisis has come, he sends friends out to say, uh, don't, don't bother coming to me. It, it's interesting to me. Because I've read this text a whole bunch of times, and I've read it as if the centurion is saying to Jesus, I don't deserve uh, to have you come under my roof. That's actually what it says. If you look at it, it says, I don't deserve for you to come under my roof, right? But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. But he doesn't say that. It's his friends that say it. Isn't that interesting? I think, I think that's wild. Friends can speak for you, especially in times of difficulty. Uh, friends can speak for you uh, with some authority if they know you, if they know what you're going through. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and speak on behalf of others. They don't want company right now. It's not a good time. But, but you know what you can do? You can do you know, this and this. You can bring food. You can, you can send a card. Th that's a friendship demonstrated biblical friendship that we see modeled in scripture they can speak they can be trusted to deliver uh, the message in times of difficulty and, and again sometimes you might feel bad about that like oh i don't want to listen that's what friends are for so you say to a friend can you just tell everyone it's not a good time or can you tell can you tell someone now we're gonna talk about this in a minute because this is where it gets awkward Nobody likes to need help. I can't think of one person I've ever met that says, I just love to ask for help. I ask for help all the time. As a matter of fact, sometimes when people ask for help all the time, we get a little annoyed with that. We think well, you should do some stuff yourself. But here, I just wanted you to see in Scripture, there's a model for friendships that are so intimate that you would send them out. I mean, think, okay, listen. The centurion could have went himself to Jesus. And he sent a friend. Like, that is crazy in itself. Like, that's crazy to me. And just go meet Jesus. But he trusts his friends to communicate on his behalf. And they do. And Jesus does what's being asked. They speak as though they are you. They can speak on your behalf. Um, as a matter of fact, um, friends can see things even the way you don't see things and speak on your behalf in that way. You know, I got, I got this friend, and they really need whatever it is, fill in the blank. And they know that. Some people might get uncomfortable with that, but that's a, that's a friendship. That's what it's about. All right? And then the third point here under um, this idea of needs is, uh, this is a crazy one, man. But friends uh, ask boldly of other friends. Friends ask boldly of other friends. And again, I just can't help but think, maybe you're not like this, but I can't help but think, we are such an independent culture, independent nature to ourselves. We want to do everything without any help at all. I mean, just, I think it's the, the, you know, it's just the way we are right now. And we don't want, we want to say, we did it. 
I did it all by myself. I did it my way, right? Like uh, Sinatra. Uh, I did what I wanted to do. But look, friends ask boldly of other friends. And this is a great passage of Scripture. And again, this is going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. So just kind of keep going forward now in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. Man, if, this is, um, again, so counterintuitive. Um, to me. This is Jesus teaching on prayer. So that's important. Again, the major teaching of this text is about how to pray to God. So if you want to know how to pray to God, pray boldly. That's how you pray to God. That's the teaching. But I want you to see what happens here when Jesus begins to kind of break down what it looks like. He says this in verse 5. He's, Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight, and he says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Some complexity there, but you have a friend traveling who comes to a friend's house to ask for food, and that guy has nothing, so he goes to another friend to ask for help helping his friend. A lot of friends in this conversation, okay? Seven. The one inside, that's the friend inside, answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. That's his response. That's a friend responding to a friend. I'm not getting up right now with this. And you might think that's cold, right? But uh, that's a friend <laughs> sometimes. Like, no, I'm not doing it, right? But look at what Jesus teaches here. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, Yet because of the man's boldness or persistence, he will get up and he will give him as much as he needs. And he just, Jesus goes on to teach my favorite passages. So therefore, ask and it will be answered. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Right? Be bold. Be persistent in your asking. It's interesting because this idea that, um, you know, ah, I don't want to bother my friends with this. Oh, I don't want to ask, you know. Listen, ask boldly. This is what I need. This would be a blessing to me. I mean, that's what the, the teaching is here. And he says, there'll be times that your friends won't even help you because they're going to be like, go away, until you're like, dude, I really need your help. I'm serious. And then your friend will help. The teaching that Jesus gives here, is, it says, he says explicitly, he will not get up and help because he's his friend. You might think that's enough. Well, he ought to help me because he's my friend. He, I shouldn't have to ask twice. I ask once, that's good enough, right? No, Jesus said, he's going to get up and help you because of your persistence. Because you keep asking. I need you. I need somebody. I need you to walk with me through this. I need you to go with me through this. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, to, to keep, to ask. And I think that is such a counterintuitive, uncomfortable thing to do. Because like, oh, we got this. I don't have to ask my friends for stuff. But Jesus commends this guy for being persistent. <laughs> you know what it, it says is, that friend's going to give up and give you much bread as you need. You need three loaves, he might give you nine. By the time you're, you just keep asking, he's like, get out of here. Here's the bread. I still love you. See you in the morning, <laughs> right? I think that's crazy. Cool, different, not what we maybe would expect. So when we have needs, we can ask boldly of friends. And as a matter of fact, if friends ask boldly of us, we ought not be annoyed with that. <laughs> They're just serious. I thought I could count on you. So my question is, are you willing to ask boldly when you have needs? When you need something, 
Or are you just going to like suffer in silence? You know? I don't want to have to ask for it. You know, that's one of the other things, by the way, is that idea that um, you should already know. <laughs> if you're my friend, you'd already know what I need. Oh, ask, right? Go ahead and clear it up. <laughs> Be clear. If someone can't provide it, we can say, well, we can't do that, but it never hurts to ask. That whole idea that friends ask boldly of friends, by the way, is encapsulated in Jesus' teaching on prayer. Isn't that phenomenal? That's how he wants us to approach him. Just ask. Ask boldly. Well, God, I know you know what I need. I'm not going to ask for it. No, ask for it. And ask boldly and ask repeatedly. All right? Another marker, I guess, of biblical friendship is that friends seek out your safety. They seek out your safety. Uh, I, this is one of, the, one of those things for me personally that I get kind of annoyed by. I just get annoyed by people who ruin my safety. I don't know why. It's just something in me, and it's not necessarily good. But uh, that's what friends do. If, if friends are worried about your marriage, they're going to come and say, hey, I'm worried about your marriage. If, if friends are worried about your lifestyle, they're going to say, hey, I'm worried about your lifestyle. If friends are worried about, you know, your, your drinking, they're going to say, hey, I'm worried about your drinking. Or if they're worried about your anything, you know, your isolation, if they're worried, they're going to come to you and say, hey, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for your safety. It's a normal part of friendship. Why, why are you bothering me? Come your friend. That's what friends, that's what friends do. This is going to come from Acts 19, uh, 31. This is another, uh, Paul's life, this is another funny story where um, Paul is, there's a riot, and this is kind of topical, right? There's a riot going on, and the riot is over Paul. The riot is over the teaching. Uh, The riot is because he came in and said, there is no God but God, and the people who were making money from false gods got really mad about it, and they stirred up the crowds to a huge citywide riot. So much so that the person who was in charge of the city kept saying, calm down, because Rome's going to come in and wipe us out. We need to settle down. This is all about false gods and that stuff. You can read it in the context of Acts 19. But in the middle of this, Paul says, I'm going to go into the theater and I'm going to talk to these people. I mean, this is thousands of people who are rioting. And Paul's like, I'm going to go have a conversation about what I believe. And all his friends are saying, don't do it, (laughs) Paul. Don't go. Don't go. And then this verse happens here. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to go into the theater. (laughs) Please, Paul, for your sake, don't go. They're concerned for his safety. They're concerned that he wouldn't be harmed. And this is a normal part of friendship, relationships, that we're looking out for one another. Um, And... uh, like I said, I get annoyed by that, but me, that's because my individualism, that, that same problem, right? But they just care. You're going to get hurt. This is going to go badly. A caveat to this, by the way, because, you know, Paul is one of those guys, if you read in Scripture, he's just following what God is saying, and he believes God is sovereign. And, and so he's pursuing God. And so there might be times that your friends don't know what God's doing, but they're still allowed to come and express concern. Please don't go. Please don't go. As a matter of fact, another part of the, the narrative of Paul on the boat, he tells the centurion to not sail ahead for a new port because it's going to be bad because God revealed to him it's going to be bad and he sails ahead. He was concerned for their safety. The same deal. Don't, don't do this. They did it anyway. And they end up ship, shipwrecked over the decision. Friends, seek your safety. 
They're looking out for you. And God has placed them there as a bit of a warning light, a a dashboard light, right? Like, pay attention, look out, this could be dangerous. And that's a biblical um, reality of friendship, that we should be concerned for the safety of others. I'm using safety here in a broad way, by the way, right? Like, just things that may not be good for you, in a very general sense. Okay, so now we're changing gears again. So there's needs... Now, this is the, and safety is kind of about like this being known, but the next is that um, friends know each other by name. And that might seem obvious, like that friends know each other by name. Um, But again, I think it can't be overstated too much. I've heard it said before (laughs) names are holy. Names are holy. You know, the word holy means set apart, set aside. Names are holy to the people that have them. <laughs> You've heard it before. No, there's, what is it? Um, the thing that everyone loves to hear is their own name. They love to hear someone say their name. We, we were at an event last night, and they were reading names of people through prayer. And they named every person by name. And someone was like, that was, why were they naming names? Because it matters. It's how you know people. It's how you really know people. I'll share this scripture with you. This is, by the way, from 3 John. Um, short, 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 short book of the Bible. Um, and this is chapter 1, verse 14. Paul's writing back uh, to the church. Or, no, John's writing to the church, I guess. And he says, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. And then look at the last line. First of all, the friends in the group, and look at the last line. Greet the friends there by name. Greet them by name. This is a letter written to uh, the church, and he's like, hey, and whenever you greet people, greet them by name. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I just want to go look at this right now, right quick, because I, I, the author of 3 John, it, it's right, it's dear friend, that's how the letter begins, dear friend, and it goes on, and at the end, it says, uh, peace to you. The friends here send their greetings, and greet the friends there by name. Greet every one of them. So knowing names and knowing names of others really matters. You know this. You know this because in your own life, when you've bumped into that person that's only met you once, and they say, hey, Bill, how are you? You're like, how's that guy know me? I met you one time six months ago. Wow. All of a sudden, that feels different relationally. That guy's paying attention, or that girl's paying attention, Right? Sometimes, I I do this often, by the way, you get names wrong. (laughs) That kind of puts a chill in the relationship, doesn't it? It's not great. Names matter. I want to, if this is one of those things that almost everyone will say, I'm bad with names, I'm bad with names, I'm bad with names. You know the names of your friends, don't you? You know the names of your friends. Now let me ask you this. If you knew people's names, would they become your friends? Like, is that both ways? Is it I only know their names because they're my friends? Or is it that once you know their names, you become their friend? So I used to have this thing I would do whenever I would try to remember someone's name, and I can still remember it to this day. If I met someone and I, I, I got introduced to them, I'm one of those persons, I can almost immediately forget it. <laughs> Anybody like that? I can almost immediately forget someone's name. Um, like... 
30 seconds. I'm like, I'm sorry. But I had a thing I did for a while and where I would go back to them and I would say, okay, I want to apologize. I can't remember your name and I should know it. Tell me three unique things about yourself. And they would tell me three, everyone has three unique things about themselves. They tell me three unique things about themselves and I would remember I'm thinking right now that there was a young woman that I met. We were doing bike camp one year. Her name was Abby, and uh, I couldn't remember her name. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And her name is Abby, and she played soccer, and she played the clarinet, and something else I can't remember, but see, is Abby. I remember her name. Do something because names matter. What does the author mean when he writes and says, greet every person there by name? That's what biblical friendship looks like. Greet the friends there by name. Tell them. As a matter of fact, again, this idea of sending people in our name, a lot of the letter carriers would say, I, I come with greetings from Paul. I come greeting, him in, greeting you in his name. So we're known. People know us. People begin to understand us. And then guess what? If you have that known relationship, all this other stuff about celebrating together and inviting people in in times of need all begins to fall into place. But it's rooted in this idea of being known. Too many of us, I think, are unknown. This one might surprise you. We've got two to go. Two to go if you're keeping track. We're on six. This is number seven. Friends have eternal value. Friends have eternal value. And we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And I only have one verse there. But this is a remarkable teaching. I, I don't know if, how often you read your Bible, but, you know, if you read your Bible enough, you're going to be shocked by some of the stuff you find, I think, there. Um, things that you go, wait, what? And you have to reread it and say, is that, is that what he's saying? This is a difficult parable anyway for a lot of people because it's about the shrewd manager. Um, the guy's kind of, um, uh, what do you call that? Skimming off the till to pay people off because he's about to lose his job. And Jesus commends Jesus says the, the manager commend, commended the shrewd manager um, by cutting their bill. He was cutting their bill for all of his friends uh, because he was about to lose his work. Verse 8 says this, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. People go, why is this a biblical example, right? Look at, because the people of this world, Jesus said, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. He's criticizing people who know God. He said they're not, people who know God aren't as shrewd as the people of the world in how to take care of their friends. That's what the text says, right? And look at verse 9. I tell you, and this is Jesus talking. Hear the word. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when your wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal dwellings. Tell me that will mess with your theology a little bit. Jesus said, use worldly wealth to, to bless your friends or make friends. I want to read it again. Um, to gain friends. Use your money to gain friends so that when your money's all gone, you'll be welcomed into eternity. I, I can't think of the time I heard that message preached. That's why what we're called to do with the things, the resources we've been gathering, right? The work we've been doing, our bank accounts, our, uh, our, our homes, our cars. He says, use all those things to make friends for yourself so that when they're wiped out, you're welcomed into heaven. 
And you might say, man, what in the world? That's, but listen, did he not criticize the man that built bigger barns for his stuff? Did he not say, woe to you, your, your life's demanded this very night? See, friends are an eternal investment. And when we choose to invest in each other, we are ultimately investing in eternity. Not in some way like, oh, you're going to be saved because I, 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 put, I paid a lot of money for that, right? But just it's what Jesus taught. That when all our money is gone. Um, funny enough, that teaching comes on the heels of the shrewd manager who when he's out of work is going to go to his friends and say, I took care of you, now take care of me. What is that about? Do you think it's about Jesus wanting his people to use what they have to care for others because Jesus cares for others. And that then when we get to heaven empty-handed, he says, come on in. I got all you need. I love that idea of, of friends. I, I can't say I would I'd do that well, but I love that idea that there's an eternal value, an eternal investment in friends. All right, last stop today. Acts 10. This is uh, one, of, one of the greatest stories in the book of Acts. I mean, you all know the story about, you know, the Holy Spirit coming in the beginning of Acts. You know that story, probably Acts 2. But check this out. Um, and this is, I always say, the, the book of Acts is like the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You can say that either way, right? It's the Acts of what God is doing after Jesus ascends into heaven. It's the functions of the church. It's the beginning of the functions of the church here in the book of Acts. And Acts 10 has this awesome story about a guy named Cornelius. And uh, Cornelius is um, not a Jew, uh, but he's a faithful, God-fearing man. There's a couple things of, uh, by way of background uh, that I want to share with you about Cornelius before we get into this idea that um, biblical friends want their friends to know Jesus, right? Because this is what we see in Cornelius himself. But... Um, Cornelius was a person who was faithful, who was praying to God, and who was giving alms to the poor. So he's doing these things that God cherishes. He's caring for people. And, and in the middle of this, God gives him a revelation and says, uh, invite, go, go to, there's this guy named Peter. He's in the house of Simon the Tanner. Go in there and invite him to come to your house. And so he sends friends. There's a whole backstory here, and he goes in, right? And, and he does that. He invites uh, Peter. By the way, in Peter's own life, Peter has been up on the roof, and Peter's like one of those like straight arrows, like holy, holy, holy guys, right? Like religious, righteous guys, and he won't touch. And God has just said, here's some unclean food. Eat it. And he's like, I'm not going to eat it. And it happens three times. We know that story. And then God takes up the stuff to heaven, and Peter realizes, wow, God has said whatever is clean. He says is clean is clean. That's what Peter learns that lesson. And immediately upon this revelation the Cornelius's friends show up at his door and say hey come and meet these non-Jewish people they want to hear what you have to say and so Peter goes to Cornelius's house and we'll just pick it up there so look at verse uh, 24 we're going to back up to like a half verse there yeah the next day, Peter, this is after he, the guests came in. The next day, Peter started out with them. That's the friends of Cornelius. And some of the brothers uh, and went to Joppa, uh, from Joppa went along. 24, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. And Cornelius was expecting them. And Cornelius had called together 
his relatives, and his close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius fell at his feet, and Peter said, don't do that. Stand up. I'm just a man like you. And then Peter began to teach. Okay? And, and what is amazing about Cornelius is this. A um, couple things. But one of the things that's amazing is that Cornelius uh, believed that God was doing something, and he wanted all his friends to know about it. He wanted, I should say, his closest friends. I want to be faithful to Scripture. He invited his closest friends, say, come to my house. This guy Peter's coming, and we've got to hear what he has to say. By the way, I want you to notice that Cornelius was the righteous man. Now, Cornelius is the one that God revealed himself to, but he says to his family, come in here, family. I want you to know what's happening here. And he says to his close friends, come in here. I want you to know what's happening here. And then in the midst of that, uh, Peter begins to teach. If you read on in the text, Cornelius' faith, his belief is um, honored by God because in the end it says in 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. All, all who heard the message. That means his close friends and his families. The Holy Spirit came on all of them and the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. This is a big deal. Even on non-Jewish people because they heard them speaking in tongues and they heard them praising the Lord. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just like us. And so he ordered them to be baptized and he stayed for a few days. This faith of Cornelius to say, I want people to know what I know. I want people to know what I know. And this, like all these principles, goes both ways. It means the other people who know God will want us to know God in that way. And those of us who know God will want other people to know God in that way if we're friends. You, you might have um, a heavy burden for people in your life that you go, I, 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 I feel that. I do want them to know. Listen, look at Cornelius' example. Gather them together. Say, you know, let's, let's hear the word together. Let's listen to Jesus together. Let's talk about this. Cornelius and his boldness. And I can't imagine, I mean, Cornelius himself and his entire household, including close friends, came to faith. Came to know God. <laughs> God that made him. This is a big deal, by the way, in the Bible, a narrative, because it's the first time that God reveals himself to non-Jewish people as a friend. It's the first time that he pours himself out for non-Jewish people. He's used them before, but this is the first time that he's known by them. They begin to worship God and to praise him. His act of faith. So these are just eight, right? Um, you, can, you can look and find more, but the, these were those eight things I thought, man, that's really uh, interesting stuff. That they would know Jesus. They would enter in, that we would, we would need each other for stuff. Biblical model of friendship. Um, I'm going to pray today, and I'm going to pray for a couple of things. I want to pray primarily um, because this is my heart, right? That, to, that I want uh, everyone here to know Jesus, and I would say, like, I know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus like some of you know Jesus. <laughs> like, I know Jesus, but some of you know Jesus in ways that I don't, so I want to know that too. But I want some of you who don't know Jesus like I do to know Jesus the way I do, like as a friend, as one who gave himself for us, as one who set us free from sin, as one who saves us. 
And so that's one of my prayers today is that if you don't know Jesus in that way, my prayer is that you would know him in that way, that he would reveal himself in that way to your heart, in your life, for real, that no one could take it away from you, that angels would rejoice in heaven because one sinner has come to faith. And the other thing I want to pray for today is I want to pray that God would um, help us to be biblical friends to others and help us to find biblical friends. I mean, people that we can really journey with, people that can really see the good, the bad, and the ugly. They can celebrate when things go well and they can come and join us whenever things are not going well. The church being the church, the friends being the friends. So those are my two prayers today. I'm going to ask you to join me now as we pray. Father God, I, I pray so much that uh, we would come to know you more deeply. I pray that, um, if nothing else, that, that that's it, Father. That to know you for eternity is all that matters. To know you for this life right now is all that matters. All the stuff we get caught up in. But if we know you, it makes all the difference in the world, no matter what our circumstances are, Father. And so I pray for those here today that don't know that they have a friend in you, that, that you have given your son that they could be free they could be friends. They could talk to you and just be like, you're on my side. You're not against me. You're with me. You love me and you've given yourself for me. Your Holy Spirit dwells in me. I can discern truth. Father, for that gift that only you can give, I ask that you would give it to those who desire today. I ask for those here right now who are in quiet ways just going, man, I want that. That you would hear the prayer of their heart and you would just enter in, Father, as only you can do. They would be redeemed and renewed, born over, like born again, new. We depend utterly on you for that work. Pray, Father, that you would do it for your glory and for the good of the people who you save. Praise you, Father, for the work. And Father, for uh, those of us who, who uh, know you, that we would be biblical friends, that we would, we would kind of have this heart to invest in other people and to be there and to celebrate and to mourn and, and to, to enter in, Father. Help us to be bold and courageous in that kind of relationship. Help us to find it. And you know, Father, we have limits, but help us to find a few, a few of our close friends. And then, Father, if, if there are people that you have in our life and we know you and, and, and we love these people so much, would you just give us the opportunity to gather them together and say, I want you to know Jesus. Whatever that looks like, Lord, I, I don't pretend to know every person's life in this room, but you do. I don't pretend to know every circumstance that could happen, but you do. So I pray, Father, that you would align things and that your spirit would um, be dwelling in the hearts of those who you're drawing to faith and in ours as we are offered the opportunity to join you in that work. May we be um, sharing good news with our friends. We love you so much. We don't deserve to talk to you, but you let us, and we thank you for that. May you be glorified, Father, as we continue to follow you together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.